Hey, we're in Hebrews 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And there's a lot, um, I'm excited for this text because there's a lot happening now as we enter into chapter 5 and 6. So let me kind of give you some, some context. Uh, in case you missed last week, we studied a lot of scripture. I mean, like 40 verses. We looked at chapter 5, verse 1 through 11 primarily, and then chap- all of chapter 7. Um, here's the idea, and here's why we did that. The author of Hebrews was trying to answer this question, if Jesus is high priest, how? How could he be high priest? He's not a Levite. He's not a son of Aaron. Uh, Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. He's a part, part of the kingly tribe. But how could Jesus possibly be high priest? And this, again, to us maybe isn't a big deal. We didn't grow up with a, a Jewish background or Jewish understanding. Um, we didn't maybe have this, this like burden of the law on our lives like they did. But they would say, hey, you're calling Jesus high priest. How could he be high priest? And so the author gives this brilliant layout of how Jesus is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So we talked about a lot about Melchizedek, uh, that mysterious character. Who is Melchizedek? Um, and we looked at how he's a king and priest and how no one could have those two roles except Melchizedek and, and except for the Messiah. How the Messiah, Zechariah said, would be the king and the priest. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he goes, I'm from the tribe of Judah, I'm that king, and I'm also from the order of Melchizedek, I'm that high priest. Now, if you're listening or you're, this is again, you're maybe your first week or you missed last week, go back and listen, there's a lot there. Here's why I'm saying all of this. Actually, the author kind of what started this idea of talking about Melchizedek in chapter five, he pressed pause and said, you can't handle these things because you're not mature enough. And then he picked up him back in chapter seven. He's like, all right, I'll tell you more about this Melchizedek guy. So we kind of followed that line and we hit pause too. But now we want to get back to chapter five, verse 11. And here's why I'm saying all of this. Um, if last week felt like a lot, like, wow, that's a lot of content. That 40 verses, this idea of Melchizedek. I've never even heard of Melchizedek. Who is this guy? Um, if it felt like a lot, the author even said, hey, it's going to be a lot. And I'm not sure if you can handle this. And so this is why we're going back, obviously, to this section, because he's basically saying there are more things like this in Scripture that we want to talk about and discuss and reveal and go over, but do you even care? Are you even listening? Are you even mature? You know, how can you, how can you hear? You have ears, but you just don't hear. So he's speaking really now into their spiritual immaturity. Don't forget, Hebrews is written to people who are going through extreme persecution. They're suffering. They're tired. They've left the physical, they left the law, the temple, the scribes, the priests. They've left that to follow Jesus by faith, to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus by faith. It's hard. I mean, they're tired. They're exhausted. Their church is at this point really going underground. I mean, there's extreme persecution. There's fear. There's anxiety. They're exhausted. They want to give up. They maybe aren't hearing as well as they used to because there's a lot of warnings in the book of Hebrews. Even next week is probably one of the if not the hardest text in the Bible, it's probably one of the hardest texts in the Bible. So we'll get to that next week. Um, but there's a lot of warnings in this book. And the author's trying to make the point that Jesus is better. Don't give up. Jesus, Jesus, we see him throughout scriptures. He's of the order of Melchizedek. He's the greater high priest. He's the greater Aaron. He's the greater Moses. He's everything you've longed for. He's that and more. And so that's the author's point. Now here's where the, the shift kind of changes. 
this is where the author kind of throws some elbows. This is kind of when he gets now in their face a little bit. He was kind of nice in chapter two with his warning. Now that he's kind of getting even more intense, um, there's a lot of people out there who talk about church, church life, church growth. You can go to conferences, how to grow your church. Um, This is going to be the opposite of that. Uh, This is one of those messages that frustrate and offend people. If you right now are on the fence in your walk with Jesus, if you are in this place where you're kind of partially in, partially out, this might frustrate you, this might offend you. If you don't think you are, but your lifestyle is different than the gospel, this might frustrate you. This is where Paul gets in your face. Here, or the author gets in your face. Excuse me, because I think it's Paul, but it might not be. Um, here's, here's the big idea. The author finds it necessary to warn us, to challenge us, to get in our face a little bit. And we can either fight that, we can run away from that, or we can hear him and embrace this. And my hope and my prayer is that we'd actually really embrace this as a church. That God would grow us up into health and to maturity. So listen, um, I'm going to ask actually that you... Um, take to heart some of the things shared today. In some ways, this might offend you, and that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes we need to be offended, maybe, for there to be real change and growth. And this is what the author's doing. So let's read. It's Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. And we'll pick up where we left off, left off last week. So remember in verse 10, he's like, Jesus, the high priest, is called according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 11, this is what, here's what he says. Of whom we have much to say. And he did in chapter 7, and that's why we did that, of whom we have much to say. And it's hard to explain. And I'm thankful for that, that actually, that phrase. That just reminds me, like, it's, it's hard to walk through what we walked through maybe last week. It's hard to explain. But he says, but here's really why. Since you've become dull of hearing. It's hard to explain because you've been dull of hearing. Verse 12. For by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And not like that kind of a babe. It's a baby. Verse 14. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Chapter 6, verse 1. Let's keep going. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Let us go on to perfections, this word maturity. Let us go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Before I pray, and we're gonna get into chapter six, verse four next week. We're looking at the section Remember, there's no verses and chapters. We're looking at the section where, where the author's saying, I want to tell you more things. I want to tell you rich things, deeper things, but you weren't able to hear. I want to get past some of the milk, and I want to move on to meat. And he actually names certain doctrines or things that they were discussing in their day that we will go over. But he's saying it's time to mature and it's time to grow up. And I just want to pray for a second and ask that the Lord would do this in our lives individually and just as a church as a whole. Individually, I need to mature Individually, you need to mature, but then together as a church, man, if we could all grow and mature together, what could the Lord do? And I think that maybe we're in this place of like arrested development where God's saying, I want you to keep going and go further. So let's just pray and ask the Lord to grow us in this way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we get to study your word. 
God, I ask that this would not just be um, a teaching for us to understand the text, but that, Spirit, you would take your word and truly mature us and grow us, that, God, we would become more like Jesus, that this would not just be about knowing lofty doctrinal things, but that we would truly see the word shape and transform us, that we would be known for love, be people of love. God, we ask that that would be where our depth and our maturity comes in. God, I ask that um, for those who've maybe just been walking through the spiritual life for many years now, but have stopped growing, that they would grow. That Holy Spirit, you would speak to us, to myself, to them, that God, in those areas we have not maybe fully either surrendered over to, or we don't want to give in, that we would just release, that we would give in, that, that God, you would, um, that you would really challenge us and that you would grow us through this. In your name, Jesus, amen. I want you, I want everyone to think about a time in your life where you had a really challenging conversation. The type of conversation, think back to where the person got in your face. They maybe called you, called you out on character, attitude, decision-making, where they maybe, you know, raised their voice a little bit. But I want you to think back to a time in your life where you had someone really kind of just get in your face. You know, maybe as a coach, could have been a parent, a friend, a teacher, a teammate. I mean, think back to those conversations where someone is calling you out on your child, childishness. Um, this might surprise you, but I've had a few of those conversations directed at me. Um, growing up, I, I just think I've had coaches kind of come into me, like lay into me and say, Josiah, here's your potential, but you're here. You could be here, you could be leading the team in this way, and I've, I've had teammates do that. I've had my brother do that. I've had different people in my life really get in my face and it's funny because there's this reaction where I kind of want to fight it. My first response is I want to swing. My first response is I want to name call back um, or I want to run away from it and say, you don't know what you're talking about and just kind of dismiss it. There's been those times and those moments, and those conversations where someone says the hard thing. And again, your flesh wants to either fight or flight. Your flesh wants to either say you're wrong, you don't know what you're talking about or just kind of run away from it and be, pull away. And there's been those times when those coaches or those teammates or whatever it might have been have called me out and I've had to step aside and be like, they're right. Like something has to change. Whether it's my attitude, whether it's my decision-making skills, my leadership skills, you're listening to it and you're going, they're not wrong. It hurts. And there's almost this comes this point in time where you go, I can't keep doing what I'm doing and be effective. Like if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm, I'm not only hurting myself, I'm hurting other people around me. If I don't change in my leadership, if I don't change in my approach, if I don't change in my heart, my attitude, my compassion, if I don't change in these things, um, not only am I limiting myself, but everyone around me. Maybe it was a life experience for you where you kind of had this crazy life experience and the Lord is really saying to you, something has to change. Like you can't keep making the same decisions over and over again and expect a different result. That's called insanity. We do the same thing over and over again and think maybe it'll change this time. And that's just literally insane. And there's those moments either through people getting in your face or life experiences where you kind of go, fine, I'm all in. I'm done. I'm done. I can't keep doing the same thing anymore because it's, it's just not working. Here's what the author is trying to do. Here's what he's doing. He's getting in their face. And he says, something has to change. I'm giving you milk and I want to give you meat. You're babies. You're children. 
If you've ever been around an adult who kind of behaves like a moody teenager, and they're like, man, but you're an adult, and you have a job, and you have a family, and, and you're so inconsistent, and you're so up here and down here, and you're all over the place, and you frustrate people, and you're self-absorbed, and you're narcissistic, whatever it might be. If you've ever seen a, an adult act like a child, it's, it's just very, it's not attractive. You don't want to be around that. You want to get far away from that person. And this can happen to us spiritually. Where spiritually, um, you might be healthy, but immature, so for example, there's a five-year-old who could be a healthy five-year-old, like they're healthy, but they're five, they're immature. And I think in the church that can happen where it's like, maybe there's health, but there's immaturity. Or maybe there's maturity, but there's, there isn't health. And the author is really pressing in and saying, I want to give you more. It's time that for you to become teachers, but I have to go over the same old thing with you guys. And it's time to grow up. And this is basically what he's saying. And so if you ever, and this is the title today, and if you've ever had someone say those two words to you, grow up. I don't know why I think of, um, uh, was it Home Alone? We're like, grow up, Kevin. And he's like, I don't know, for some reason that just comes to my mind. Anyways, um, but if you've ever had someone say that to you, it does hurt. You know, I know that today it's kind of taboo for a coach to get in a kid's face. And I, I, I know that's like, that's not the best way to coach. For me, it's been effective at different times where I've had to have people kind of get in my face, get in my space and say, what you're doing is going to lead you and other people to harm. And you're not going to grow and you're not going to take yourself or other people further along. And, it's, and it hurts and it's painful, but it's exactly what we need. So let me just say this. Let me give a quick little preface. This is not for me to bash you or our church and say, um, I'm so disappointed in you guys and it's time to grow up. It's not that. Actually, even praying over this, there's a sense of like extreme gratefulness and I don't want to say pride, but like it is an honor for me to be able to pastor our church. It's an honor for me to look at you guys and I see the way you love each other, serve each other. I see the way you do community. I see the way you call each other. Um, I see the way you guys, even during this whole pandemic, this whole COVID-19 thing, I've seen many of you step up and fill out forms saying that we want to help. We will deliver groceries. We'll give gift cards. Like I'm honestly very humbled by the maturity I've seen. And it's been one of those things for me where it's like, Lord, thank you for this, this group of people that is just so all in. At the same time, let me just say this, there is more. At the same time, it's not necessarily a time for me to bash or this author to bash on this community of people as much as he's really kind of offering, hey, there is more. There's more to experience. There's more room for growth. As soon as you think there's no room for growth, you become unteachable. And he's saying, there is more. God has more. There's more discipleship that could take place. There's more evangelism that can lead to salvation, that can lead to more discipleship. There's that mindset of how do we reach the, there's more, there's just more. And so if you, all we are is concerned about our needs, our wants, our desires, and he's like, you're just, you're babies. Babies think that way. Babies only think about me and myself and I, and he's saying, there is more. There's more. And so really, here's my heart for our time, church. Um, again, it's not to just belittle, and it's not to bash, and it's not to say I'm disappointed. It's none of that. It's just saying, um, I really believe in my own life, in my marriage, in uh, me as a human, me as a dad, me as a pastor. Like, there's more, and I don't ever want to assume that I've retained, I've reached it, I've made it. Um, in many ways, there is emotional and spiritual immaturities. Obviously, the Lord wants to work out in me. He wants to work out in you. And I really believe this is the Lord saying, let me speak into your emotional IQ, your spiritual IQ. Uh, just because you memorize verses, just because you might know certain doctrinal terms does not mean you're mature. And it's time to mature and grow up. Amen? So here's what we're going to walk through in this text. You're like, not amen. Too bad. Um, here's what we're going to walk through this text. Uh, in verse 11, Chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6 through 3, here's kind of the four ways we're going to break this up. The diagnosis, 
The diagnosis, the symptoms, the remedy, and the basics. Here's what he's walking us through. He's saying, I'm diagnosing the problem. You're not really good at listening. Uh, The symptoms of how that plays out, you're childish. Uh, The remedy talks about discernment and practice. And then he talks about the basics in chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. Here's some of the basics for them at their time period. We'll look at that. So let's look at the first thing. Number one, the diagnosis. Let's read again verse 11. Verse 11 says this, of whom we have much to say. Again, speaking of Melchizedek, which we went, we kind of pieced it together. And it's hard to explain. Why? Because you have become dull of hearing. Here's what he's saying. God is speaking. Are you listening? God is speaking. Are you hearing him? You have ears to hear, but do you truly hear and take it to heart? You become dull of hearing. Listen, this is a warning. He's going to walk into chapter six and give an even more intense warning. So don't worry, that's next week. But he gives even more intense warning. And this whole section is him saying, can you truly hear from God? You have ears, but do you hear? Now, here's the thing. Why don't we hear from God? There's probably, I mean, there's a plethora of reasons, but why don't we fully hear? I wonder if for them and possibly for us, at one point in time, they were hearing. Notice this phrase, you have become dull of hearing. Chapter five, verse 11, you become. That means they were once hearing and now they're no longer hearing. They've become this way. They were once growing and something has stunted their growth. And so you wonder, like God was speaking Were they hearing it and doing it? So often, like right now, in your spiritual life, my life, if you feel like, Josiah, I read the Bible, I get nothing out of it. I even go to church and listen to you and I get nothing out of it. If if that's where you're at, my thing is, if you want to hear from God, do what he's already told you. So if God is speaking to you and has spoken to you, if you're not doing that, why would you expect to hear from him again? Why would you expect for it to receive more? So right now, if God's speaking to you, he has spoken to you, God's said, you need to forgive this person, you need to reconcile this relationship, you need to love, you need to serve, you need to, whatever it might be, if you haven't done that, why would you expect to hear God's voice later? They become, they have become dull of hearing. That means they're at one point in time listening. Now this word dull, I like circled it and I'm like, I'm going to look in the, by the way, I don't, like you can go on Google and type in the Greek interlinear Bible and you can like look up the origin of words and the meaning. And so this word dull is this word uh, nothros and it literally means slothful. It's primarily slothful, lazy, slow, stupid. Here's what the author's saying. You have become slothful in hearing. That is like a heavy word. Someone's like, hey, what's your like sin? Like, I'm just really, I'm just a giant sloth. I'm like lazy. I'm lackadaisical. That might be, and, and here's the thing. He's like, that's you. You're, you're lazy and slothful in your hearing. You're becoming almost like obese in your hearing. You hear and hear and hear and hear and take in, take in, take in, and you're not doing it. You're not growing in it. You're just taking it in. You become slothful in hearing. This word, um, nothros, it's two words he put together. It means not and to push, not push. So he's like, you're not pushing in. You're not pressing in. You're not pressing into what God has already has spoken to you. He's basically saying, you need to press into what God is saying. Like, we know this. We know the Christian life is an uphill battle. We know that Jesus has won the war, but there's still these little battles going on. And we know that the Christian life is this uphill. It's going to take energy and effort, and it's an uphill battle. And he's like, you become slothful in your hearing. Now, here's the thing. It's not like they had some disability. He's basically saying, you've chosen to become slothful. Like, this is on you. Like, it's on you for not listening. Um, here's the idea. Whether it was them then or us today, 
we have everything we need for life and for godliness. You're like, why, how could you say that? Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3, listen to this. By God's divine power, listen, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So the idea is they're not lacking. We're not lacking. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. They weren't lacking in something. They weren't lacking in, well, I don't have the tools. I don't have the resources. I don't have the community. I don't have this around me. I don't have the right things in place to grow. And church, we cannot make that excuse. We cannot say, I don't have the right things in place for me to grow. No, no. God has given us all things for life and godliness. It's crazy. We have something now that they don't have. We have the Bible compiled all together in one little book. I mean, it's not like little scrolls you're going searching for, going to temple and like, where's the scroll of Isaiah? I don't know. Where's the, you know, where's the epistle of 1 John? We have all of this put together. It's unbelievable what we have. God has spoken. Are you listening? God is speaking. Are you listening? He's saying, you have become dull of hearing. There is more. So let me just kind of point this out for us today. The diagnosis is that he's saying you can't hear. Um, I wrote down some things today, some barriers to growth, some barriers to growth, and we'll look at ways to grow in a little bit, but barriers to growth. Here's what I just wrote down, simply put. Um, We're unteachable. Why might you not be growing? I don't know if that's a good sentence. Why aren't you growing right now? Um, You're unteachable, not in community. You're not disciplined. Maybe there's pet sins or idols in your life. You don't want to give up. I really like going to this website. I really like watching this show and it just consumes your time, your energy, your mental state. And you're like, well, why am I not growing? And I would say, just evaluate. Are you teachable? Are you really, I'm teachable. Okay, well, do you listen? You might hear, but do you listen? Are you truly teachable? Let me ask you this. Um, Do you read things that might challenge you that might be different than your worldview? Are are you open to doubting your doubts? Are you open to pressing into those things? Um, Are you in community? Do you have people around you that you probably normally wouldn't do life with if it wasn't for the gospel of Jesus? Do you have people around you that ask you hard questions, that love you, that pray for you, that are with you, that encourage you, that say, hey, I see this in you. Are you in community? Again, are you disciplined? If you're not growing, I'm wondering, like, the whole idea is the prayer, reading, all all of those disciplines which we'll get to. I'm about to say, you're probably, there's probably some laziness in that, like the author's saying. And then do you have pet sins you just don't want to give up? Listen, these are just some, I'm, I'm not even saying this is all, but these are just like through my time, just going, man, what are some barriers to my growth? Here can be barriers to my growth. In the summary, it's pride. The pr- pride is I don't, need some, I don't need community, I don't need the Bible, I don't need this, and pride is keeping you from growth. And here's what the author's saying. I'm diagnosing the problem, you, you don't listen. You hear, you have ears, but you don't hear. And now he's gonna talk about the symptoms of how this plays out. So number two, we're gonna keep reading verse 12. The symptoms. All right, let's read this. The symptoms. Verse 12. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Let's look at that first phrase. You ought to be teachers by now. He's like, you should be teachers by now. You should be. Now, he's not saying that all of you need to be doing this and talking to a camera on a stick right now. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that all of you should be in the place where you can take the basic principles of, of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, the gospel, the first principles of God, and you can actually communicate them to someone else. Here's a verse. I, I, this verse is so profound. It's, so, it's, it's for everyone. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. It says this, A servant of the Lord. Stop there. Would you call yourself a servant of the Lord? I hope. If you believe in Jesus, you're saying you're a Lord. You are Lord, I'm your servant. You are God, I'm yours. What you say goes. A servant of the Lord, what? A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, fight, but be gentle to all, able to teach. A servant of the Lord must, 
and he says these words, able to teach. Again, this is not that you need to go write a book or write some, you know, it's not that. But can you take someone who's maybe, I've heard of Jesus, I don't really know, or I've grew up in a, you know, Christian, Catholic, or I've heard of this stuff. Can you teach them the gospel, the basic principles of scriptures? Can you walk them through that? If you said, if they said, well, who is Jesus? You say, uh, like, what do you say? Is it thorough? Is it clear? Is it something you, you have a decent handle on that you can communicate? That you've also lived out? To be a teacher, he's saying, you believe this, you believe this, you've given yourself to it, so you live it out, you live out what you believe, you live it out, and now you are able to communicate it. That is a humbling thing. He's saying, all of you, a servant of the Lord, must be able to teach. I would just say this, are you discipling someone? Is there someone, and here's the thing, if you're in a season where you need to be discipled, be discipled. That's actually okay. There's different states of life and of ministry. But can you take someone off the street who's like, I'm curious, I want to know more about God. And it's like, let me walk you through the scriptures. Let me walk you through just even life and just how scriptures have played out personally in my life. Imagine you didn't have the Bible, but you have God's word in your heart where you can just walk them through God's word because it's hidden in you. Are you, are, are you able to teach? He, here's what he's saying. You should be able to be, you should be teachers by now, but you're still babies. You should be the ones feeding meat, but I'm still feeding you milk. There's a time and place um, for, for milk. You know, a baby with milk is so cute. My daughter's 14 months and even just giving her a bottle at night and I love just seeing her, it's so cute. You know, at 17, it's not so cute, right? If you're like you're taking a bottle to bed, you're like, that's not really that cute. Um, you know, I, I was watching my son have an interaction with my wife and he's four and you know, he did what a four-year-old does. My wife goes, no, you cannot do that. And and then Nodi did back to her, and I, I just like, I laugh because it's, it's not funny. It's just, this, but he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he made that sound, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's such a four-year-old. Like she's like, you can't do that, and he made that noise. And I'm like, man, at 25, like me, I can't, my wife can't say something to me, and I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can't do that. Like, okay, it's understandable when you're a child, but when you're an adult, it's not. It's not acceptable. It's not understandable. Here's, again, the point. He's like, some of you should be teachers. Some of you should be not just eating meat, but giving meat. But sadly, you're still on a bottle. But sadly, you're still taking in milk. He's using the analogy of spiritual infancy. You might look old, but spiritually, you're an infant. And this is not like they're new believers. He's speaking to people who obviously you ought to be like, he's speaking to people who've been around it for a while. Listen, um, I want some of you to, in a sense, be on a bottle. I want some of you to, you're new to the faith, you're growing, take that in. I want some of you to start maturing through that and start eating meat and start growing in character. And I want you to start now feeding others milk and eventually maybe feeding them meat. Like that's a great thing to be in. This idea of milk and bottles and meat and all this stuff, actually Paul uses the same analogy. Interesting, Paul maybe the author. No, but Paul uses the same analogy in 1 Corinthians 3. Listen to this. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 says a similar thing. He says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people. Gosh, do you hear that? I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you are not able to receive it. And even now, even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal, speaking to the Corinthian church. For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? 
Paul's like, I wanted to talk to you as spiritual people. I wanted to give you meat. I still can't do that because you're still behaving. Your actions, your attitudes are showing that you're still a child. You know, my son right now, we're talking to him, obviously walking through the gospel, you know, walking through who Jesus is. He's like, I believe in Jesus. We're like, awesome. And we're encouraging him. That's so good, dude. We, you know, we love that. We're trying to stir that within him. And, and then when he, you know, says that and then has, you know, he kind of loses it. We're just trying to say, Micah, if Jesus, and he, he lives in you, you believe in him. God's spirit now lives and dwells in you. And we're trying to talk now through the fruit of the spirit. So like the fruit of the spirit, which you're like, what does that mean? The evidence that God is in you is love and joy and peace and patience. And so I hear my wife and I, like I'll hear in a different room say like love and joy and peace and patience. And then like that same day, I'll be like love and joy and peace and patience. Here's the thing, like I can't wait to move on from that lesson, but we're probably gonna be that lesson for a while. We're probably gonna be in the lesson of love and joy and peace and patience. And if God lives in you and truly dwells in you, there will be these char- there'll be these signs, the evidence, the fruit of God's spirit dwelling in you is. And it's a beautiful thing to walk him through this. And we gotta be patient. I know as a parent, it's easy to get impatient. It's easy for me to get impatient. It really is. It's one of those things that we're like, I need to beat this drum for a while. I need to feed him this milk. Hey, God's spirit lives and dwells in you. Hey, do you love? Yeah, I'd love. Do you love your enemies? No, I don't. Okay, let's work on that. And we're trying to walk him through those basic principles. And here's the thing, church. We need that foundation. I hope you have that foundation. I hope there's not envy and strife and division. I hope there is love and joy and peace and patience. And eventually we need to take that and apply it to all spheres of our life and go deeper into that and to share that with other people. The point is milk is not bad. Here the author is saying for them, uh, you're still going back to milk. I want you to go on to meat. And that was Melchizedek. And that was basically trying to ask questions you're not asking. Press into the person of Jesus more. And he's trying to re- reveal those certain things. But it, milk is not bad. So let me just kind of share this really quick. Because you might read this first. And you're, if you, you know, have an understanding of the Bible, you might be like, wait a second. I thought the Bible's called milk. It is. And that's a good thing. So here's the verse. It's First Peter chapter 2. Listen to this. Peter says, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Peter uses this uh, analogy in a positive light. He's saying, as newborn babes, drink the milk. If you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, man, take that in. Milk is not bad. Let me just be, again, really clear. You might be in a place where you need milk. I I don't want anyone to be ashamed of that. Um, actually, in fact, we should always have in our diet in that sense, maybe you're like, well, milk's bad. I'm I'm just saying our spiritual diet. We should always have the idea of milk, of how do I take in the pure milk of the word, as Peter says? How do I take in just, and this under, the Lord is gracious. How do I always take that in? So I want to give you a little fun uh, fact thing. Someone shared this with me years ago, and it's about teaching, and I think it applies to life. This pastor shared, he said, if ever you're going to teach the word of God, always have the three M's, milk, meat, and manna. And I thought that was interesting. And, he, and here's the explanation. Milk is you need the gospel. You need, just need the, the simplicity of Jesus, who he is, that you may grow thereby, that God is great. We always need to have milk. I, I hope that you hear within my teaching, I always try to apply that of like the gospel needs to be there, obviously. Meat, there needs to be something to chew on. There needs to be something that you're like, oh, that was, that was actually nourishing for me. And then manna, what is manna? Manna was that heavenly wonder bread that showed up every morning when the nation of Israel was wandering through the wilderness. They, they woke up to this manna that they had to go out and collect from themselves. And it was sweet to the soul. Like it tasted actually very sweet. 
And the idea behind that is um, when you read God's word, do you find those little nuggets of things, those little, those little things are just sweet. That, like, that was like God said that for you. Maybe even as we teach, it's like, God, help me be aware of what, is it, what are you saying right now to people that I, I couldn't plan, I couldn't write, that you just want to speak into someone. As you read the word, do you approach it as God speak to me, get that manna. So I love the idea of we need in our diet milk, meat, manna. So again, I'm trying to make this point. Milk is not bad. Actually, Peter says you need milk to grow. Milk's good. This author in Hebrews is saying, you've been on milk for a while. You've been on the bottle for a while. Can I give you some meat? And he's like, I don't know if you can handle it because you're dull of hearing. So here's what he's saying. Here's how this is playing out in your life. You're childish. You've been childish. And so I want to make sure I'm really clear with this. Um, There's a difference between being childlike and childish. Childlikeness is a beautiful thing. Man, how I wish the church would have more of a childlikeness. How I want to have more of a childlikeness. I want to approach Jesus with a sense of, I trust you, Jesus. I want to approach Jesus as the little kid saw him and ran to him and sat on his lap. And there was a sense of dependency, of trust, of, man, I can just run to Jesus at any point in time. Childlikeness is a beautiful thing in the church. Childish, childishness (laughs) is not a beautiful thing in the church. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm making it a word. Childlikeness is okay. Childlikeness is welcomed. Jesus said you must be like a child to enter the kingdom. So childlikeness is what we're aiming for, but not childishness. And this is what the author's saying, hey, you've been on the bottle long enough. You know, what is, what is milk, by the way? It's like pre-digested um, food, right? Like you think about milk, it's food that someone else has chewed up and it's kind of turned into milk now and you take that in. When I'm teaching God's word, it's food chewed up and it's kind of given out in milk. Take it in yourself. There is this responsibility where it's on the church and it's on the individual. I want you to hear me on this because I don't want this to come across as arrogant. I don't want this to come across as church bashing. There are churches that might focus primarily on milk. And you know what? Praise the Lord for that. There's, as Peter said, there's a side of it where milk's good. My hope is that they would offer a be- well-balanced diet where there'd be meat as well. Also, at the same time, you don't want people giving meat to babies because that's when I don't give a meat, like a steak to my daughter. Um, she would choke. The idea is like, you know, maybe at the same time, we need to know our, know our audience, know who we're speaking to, know that they can handle this or this much right now. And that's something I'm trying to pray through as we deliver God's word. It's like, God, there needs to be some milk. There needs to be some veggies. There needs to be some meat. There's a side of it where you're just trying to go, how do I, how do I approach this? And so I want to encourage you to approach God's word with the mindset of, I want milk. I want meat. I want meat. I want all of that to grow thereby. I hope that makes sense. So here again is the, the symptoms was it played out in childlikeness or childishness. They had a childish understanding is what he's saying. Now here is the thing, and we're going to get to this in verse, uh, in verse uh, 13, 14, or 14. But here is the thing. The idea is not everyone grows at the same pace. Everyone grows at different paces. Please do not look down on the person who's just growing at a slower pace. Maybe you're growing at a quicker pace. Jesus even told in the parable of the sower, there were some seeds that produced fruit. Like they, it sprung up quickly, but then it faded away. Um, the pace of it, the, the fact that it's fast is not always a good thing. If someone's growing at a slower pace, we're just thankful they're growing. Jesus said, Jesus said some produce 30, 60, 100 fold, meaning not everyone produced the same amount. There's a difference. So the growth will look different for all of us. And here's what I'm trying to say. For some of you who've been walking with Jesus for 20, 30 years, please, it's time to start investing. It's time to start disciple. It's time to start, first of all, are you showing the fruit of the Spirit? Are you in community? Are you modeling this yourself? Okay, now start teaching others and investing in others. Some of you, you're like, hey, you're two years in. You, you're still selfish, self-absorbed. You still swear. You still do this. You know what? There's grace in that, but eventually you're going to go, you know what? I don't need to talk that way. I don't need to act that way. It's time for me to grow mature in this. 
So there's grace in the people who are new to the faith. There's grace in that. But you've been walking three, five, ten years. It's like, why do you still talk like that? Why is it still out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks? Is that really what's going on in your heart? There's a side of it where it's time to grow. Amen? So here's number three. The remedy. The remedy. Verse 14. Let's read verse 14. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Let me put it in the ESV version. I like this version of it. Verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Um, the remedy, he's talking about practice and discernment. You have discernment because you've given yourself, you're training yourself by constant practice. So let me just point this out. Again, this is speaking of maturity, and he's saying you're constantly, pra- you're constantly practicing it. Here's the idea. The Bible is not a fad diet. All right, maybe you've tried those. I've maybe tried this. Where you're like for like a, a day or a week, but you're like, I'm gonna try the whole key to th- I'm gonna try this whole thing. The Bible is not some fad that's here. It's constant practice. Jesus said, Deuteronomy says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is not some fad you try out. It's constant practice. He says, those who've been trained, again, verse 14, trained by constant practice practice. Uh, Maybe your your version of the New King James is exercised, trained or exercised. It's cool. In the Greek, it's this word that I'm going to always mispronounce, but it is this word, uh, gymnazo, um, or however you want to pronounce it, but that is like gymnasium. gymnasium. Um, This is a training center. This is a place for you to lift weights. This is literally what it's saying. Are you exercising and training by constant practice. Church, we, we did this during our whole spiritual discipline series. Um, if you missed this, please go back to our messages on our website. And I, w- I would just love for our church, to, this is not like a series. Um, I would love for our church to embrace the spiritual disciplines. We're going to always go back to those. Always go back to those. And the, the spiritual disciplines are a way for us to train. So it's a way for us to not try to be spiritual. We're not trying to be spiritual. We're not trying to read the Bible. We're not trying to pray. We're not trying to serve. We're not trying to give. We're training to read the Bible. We're training in how we read it and how we apply it. We're training in, by when we pray, we're training. If we approach it, this is what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. He says, train yourself in godliness. That we are to train, not try. And there really is a difference. My mindset, if I try something and fail, I don't want to try again. But if I view it as I'm training in this to get better, I'm training to get better at the sport, I'm training this to get better at this language, whatever it is, when you train yourself and you have that mindset, growth happens. So train, you're training, you're not trying. He says by constant practice, again, by constant practice, we're practicing, we're training. And he says this, by the powers of discernment, or he says really to discern both good and evil. So here's the idea. When you are constantly training and practicing the word of God, the spiritual disciplines, guess what happens? You grow in discernment. So let me just point this out. Keep with the analogy of a baby. Babies don't have the best discernment. He's saying maturity in Christ, you have better discernment. Babies, my baby is 14 months. I feel like all we do with her, and I I love her, she's so cute, but all we do is slap things out of her hands that she's about to put in her mouth that she's gonna kill herself with. She like takes a little Lego hat yesterday. I'm like pulling the Lego hat out of her mouth. She has, whatever it is, whatever it is. It's like, how do these kids constantly find like poison or something and like about to put in their mouth? The idea is there's no discernment in a child. There's no discernment. We're trying to right now show our son and our daughter 
you need to discern good from evil. He's saying as you grow in the faith, guess what happens? As by constant practice and training, you'll get better at this discernment thing. And this discernment thing helps you know, man, God, should I take this path or this path? And God's word is so hidden in your heart that you might not sin against him. God's word is so in you because you've been training, you've been practicing, you've been giving yourself over to it. The remedy is by constant practice of those disciplines. So here's, let me just point this out now. Um, Let me ask you this question. How do you know you're growing? How do you know you're growing? So someone's like, okay, how do I know I'm actually growing my faith? Here's to me the best litmus test or the best way to know. It's 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 where Paul is speaking about idolatry, but here's what he says in this little phrase that you've heard. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So let me just point this out. How do you know you're growing spiritually? If you memorize more Bible verses, does that mean you're growing? No. If you know more authors and you have more quotes, does that mean you're growing? No. The question is, are you being known for your love? Jesus said, by this, all men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. My thing is this, you know someone's truly growing if there's love. If there's love for their enemies, love for the people that have really hurt them, and they've forgiven them and sought them out. Love in a way that's agape, that's unconditional. Just because you might grow in certain areas does not mean you're growing the way God has designed for us to grow, and that is in love. So I would say this, church. To me, again, what does Paul say? Though you give away all your money to feed the poor, though you have all faith to remove mountains but have not love, it is nothing. Church, if we are not growing in love, we're not growing. So we need to grow in love. And you're going, how do I grow? How do I grow though? So here's some things we're going to just put up and just some simple things. And I hope that this makes sense. How to grow. Um, Jesus said in John 15, abide. I cannot stress this enough. Um, Abide in Jesus. How do you truly grow? How do you truly even love? Abide in Jesus. Uh, We're going to put this a little back back, back up here in a second, this slide, but let me read you the verses. It's John 15, uh, verse 4 through 6. Here's what Jesus said. Please listen, like take this to heart. He says, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. (laughs) I love that. Without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Why? They're cut off. He's saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. Hey, listen, if you abide in the vine, the branches, they're going to bear fruit. Abide in me, you will bear fruit. How do you grow? Abide in Jesus. So let's move on. What does that mean? And what does that mean to abide in Jesus? One, we're saying, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We give you space and room to work in our lives. We're saying, Holy Spirit, we want you to change our thinking, our heart, our perspective, our will. We surrender that to you. You're inviting God's spirit to move and work in your life. Here's how you can do that. Those spiritual disciplines we mentioned, how do you grow? Listen, Praying more and reading more doesn't always guarantee growth, but when you do that with the Holy Spirit, you're saying, Holy Spirit, take these times of prayer, take the time of reading, take the times of fasting or giving, all these different things I want to do in my life, use that for true, genuine growth, which is, again, in love. So it's abiding in Jesus, inviting the Holy Spirit, taking the spiritual discipline. So it's God, His Spirit, it's grace. It's that mixture of God's Spirit and God's grace in our disciplined life. And He's saying, and that produces growth by abiding. And I put repeat, like just do this over again. Abide in Jesus. Invite the Holy Spirit. Practice the disciplines. Just surrender to grace. If there's any growth in your life, do not get arrogant for a second. If there's any growth in your life, realize it's because of grace. 
If you start seeing growth happening, don't start thinking pridefully and arrogantly, how, how dare us, how dare we, how dare I, I cannot. It's because of God's grace. And so you're kind of, go, you're just doing that on repeat. That's how to grow. So this is like, how do we grow? This is, we're going to say, abide in Jesus, man. So here's what we see, the remedy. They're by constant practice. They're training. And, and their powers of discernment, they're growing in their discernment to understand good and evil. Now listen, here's where we get to chapter six, verse one through three, because here's what he's saying. He's saying, here's the basics that I wish if God permits, we would just move on from. Now their basics might not be our basics, and I'll explain why, but let's just read again, verse, chapter six, verse one. He says, number four, so the fourth point, the basics. Therefore, leaving aside the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not, listen, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So he goes, let us move on from these basic principles of God. Again, the ESV had a really good way of putting it. Here's how it says it. It says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now let me just pause there in case you're like, wait, leave the doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, the elementary doctrine of Christ. Here's what, he, obviously, he's not saying leave the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. Why do I know that? Well, because in chapter 5, verse 11, he, he says, I want to tell you more about who? About Melchizedek, about someone who speaks of Jesus. So his whole thing is, look at how the, all the scriptures speak of Jesus. Look at all of that. His deeper theology was looking at Melchizedek who spoke of Jesus. His deeper theology revolved around Jesus. The elementary principles, which he names these six things, um, this had a Jewish background to it that we might not fully understand. Remember, these are Jews who are now believers in Jesus, and they're wrestling between Judaism and walking by faith and trusting in Jesus. Some of these things are basics for, for both faiths. Some of these are just specific to Judaism, so don't get lost here. Here's why I'm saying this. I've heard pastors say, oh, these six things are going to be our new believers course. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. This is actually speaking also into Judaism. Now, some of them could be and should be, but some of these things... Um, are not necessarily geared, to, this might be geared more to specifically Jews who came out of Judaism. But let's walk through these things. There are six things he names. He calls them these basic elementary principles, scriptures, teachings. These six things are kind of couplets, like they're grouped together. So we're going to put them together, all right? Because you kind of see how they speak of one another in different ways. Um, the first thing is this, repentance from dead works and faith toward God. He goes, let us leave this, repentance from dead works and faith towards God. By the way, um, this might not be basic for a lot of churches. Uh, repentance sometimes is neglected. Repentance is sometimes diminished. Um, repentance is a beautiful thing. Remember when John the Baptist is speaking to the Pharisees and he says, repent and bear fruit worthy of repentance, Matthew 3. Repent and bear fruit worthy of repentance. Repentance is not just me like, I feel bad, I want to stop. It's I'm going to bear fruit now worthy of that repentance. It's not like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this thing. It's like, well, what's the opposite? I want to bear fruit in the opposite. So if your thing has been in, in just sexual sin, it's not just you stop it, but now you're bearing fruit in purity. Now you're seeing victory in other areas. It's not just I cut this off and it's back to neutral. It's now actually my mind is actually thinking purely about relationships or individuals, and I'm, I'm approaching it with this redemptive mindset. Here's the idea. Repentance kind of gets a bad rap, I think, a lot in the church, and you just picture people in the street corners saying, repent, and like they sound crazy. Repentance is a beautiful thing where you're turning from one thing, from the world, back to God. And he's saying, you know, listen, there comes a point in time we got to stop talking about this. So, for example, I'll give you, I'll speak in this way. I went to a service years ago in California where every single service was basically the gospel message, which is great and beautiful, but it was presented as like a training for believers which I get again that we always need to go back to the gospel, but every, there was, there was just, every week was the same message. 
Every, it was literally the same thing over and over again. The author's saying, hey, we're going to move on. Like, you, you understand, you believe in Jesus, you're constantly repenting. You don't leave this and graduate from this, but we need to move on from this, this topic of discussion. Faith toward God, by the way, man, justifi- justification by faith alone is so key, so essential. We're made right with God by our faith in Jesus. By faith alone, in Christ alone. Like, that is so key, so foundational. But he's like, he's basically saying, can we move on? Can we talk about other things with you? Some other, you know, and this might be necessary. For some of you, this might not be basic. That's okay. This is something we're always going to go back to, something we're always going to talk about. But this was an issue for them specifically. The second grouping or, or couplet, the, the pair, he says, um, instruction, I mean, here's the ESV version, instruction about washings um, and laying on of hands. Yours might say it, the doctrine of baptisms. The better way this is translated is the instruction about washings. Why is that? For Jews, remember, they had washing ceremonies for everything how they wash their hands, how they wash their garments, how they went to the temple. He's basically saying, and I understand the Jewish mindset, hey guys, um, the whole washing thing that you're going back to, you, you don't have to go back to that. I really believe he's saying, like, move on from this. Like, move on. Like, don't judge every other Jewish person because they don't do the same Jewish washings you used to do. Um, you're not clean by the outward, but by the inward. Jesus said that. It's not the outward of the cup, but the inward of the cup. Inwardly, we need to be pure and clean. I believe he's saying, can we move on from this? Now, if you want to say it speaks to baptisms, yes. Okay, well, let's just say that. Let's talk about baptism with water. And if you have not been baptized, be baptized. Fully identify with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Fully say, Jesus, I want, just like you were covered you know, in the grave and you came out alive, cover me in that water and let me come out alive, just walking in newness of life. Um, that's a beautiful thing, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, saying, Holy Spirit, come over me, refresh me, do what you did in Acts 2 on me. It, it could be that. He could be saying that, but it really more seems to be the Jewish perspective. And we've got to leave that. Now, the laying on of hands, by the way, just what is, what is the laying on of hands? This might not sound basic to you. Here's where we see the laying on of hands in the Gospels and in Acts. We see it used in three ways, by the way. We see them lay hands on people for healing. We see them lay hands on people for the Holy Spirit. We see them lay hands on people to be commissioned or sent out. Um, this was, a, you would see them in Acts and Jesus' life where you lay hands on people, to, you prayed healing over them. You anoint people with oil, you lay hands, you pray for them. Um, you, you would lay hands on people in the book of Acts, just God fill them with your spirit, overwhelm them. Do you have to lay hands on people for that? No. In Acts 10, the Holy Spirit fell on Gentiles and no hands were laid on anyone. But that's where we also see it used. Also, they would lay hands on someone. This sounds so bad. It almost sounds like we beat you up. Um, but they lay hands on someone when they were sent out. It was like, hey, go, send them. Send them for this great work I have for them. So they lay hands on them. The reason why, again, I'm bringing this up because the author brings it up. And he's saying, guys, 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 can we move on? Can we move on from this? And then here's the, the last pair, the number five and six. He says, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And he says, uh, verse three, he goes, we'll leave these. Th- if this we will do if God permits. Now, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. He's basically saying this was something they were probably constantly going back to. And he's saying, I want to talk about other things. Now, understand the Jewish frame of reference. The resurrection of the dead, they did believe that. They did believe of eternal judgment. Um, They obviously didn't believe in the idea of Jesus' death and resurrection until it happened. They thought the resurrection was just one time, one event for all people. Jesus kind of, you know, flipped over the worldview. Like, wait, one man resurrected in the middle of history? Yeah, so Jesus changed that perception for them. Um, And then eternal judgment, that, you know, we will all stand before God. According to Revelation, and you can read 20 and you can read 2 Corinthians 5, there seems to be two different judgments that speak, speak of. I've mentioned this before. One is where believers are judged not for their sins, but for how they live their life in Christ. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians 3. 
and in 2 Corinthians 5. That we're not going to be judged for our sins. Why? Because Jesus was already judged for our sins. Then there's another judgment, the great white throne judgment, where people who did not believe on Jesus, who did not receive the free gift of salvation found on Jesus, that there will be a judgment day for them. And the author's just saying this. Why does it seem for them in their day that they had the same six topics they wanted to go back to? If we were bringing this into our day, it might look a little different. I think there are certain doctrines that I'm tired of discussing. They're necessary to discuss. But when people go, is it God completely sovereign or our free will? That's a necessary conversation. But there comes a point in time where we go, but can we just live, uh, live this out, this, faith, this walk by faith? Can we just be doers of the word and not hearers only? Can we not be so concerned about the theoretical and just get involved in the day-to-day that there are needs and people around us and the gospel needs to be preached? Like, can we just move on? my, My thing is this. They had their issues then of what they went back to. We have our issues today of what we keep going back to. I think the same truth applies to us, which the author is saying, can we keep going? Can we keep growing? Can we say maybe we see a little bit of difference in one area, but can we keep the big picture in mind? Hey, when it comes to the eternal judgment, the resurrection of the dead, even for us, man, this is something we like long, we long for the resurrection. We long, we long for the day, those who have died, and we too, too, as the Bible says, those who are alive and remain, we wait for that day where we're made new. We wait for the day where we say God's given us a new body, new life, and this is a beautiful, like, can we just be reminded of the main things that we have in common, that Jesus is coming again, uh, when, where, how, there might be debate, but Jesus is coming again. We're not going to be the servant who says, my master delays his coming. We're going to believe and look for it with expectation and excitement that Jesus is coming again. Can we just move on from these elementary dis- conversations where people just get into weird feuds on Facebook about, and can we just keep growing and move move on? And can we show love? To me, how do we know we're growing? Are we growing in love? You might read this author. I might read, it's like, can we just grow in love? And if we're not growing in that way, I don't believe we're truly growing. And the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, you're babes drinking milk. I want to give you meat. You can't handle it yet. So I have to still give you milk at times, but you ought to be teachers by now. Church, my hope for us today is this, wherever you're at, there is more. Wherever you're at, If you're still new to this whole Christian thing, following Jesus thing, man, enjoy the pure milk, as Peter said. If you've been 10, 20, 30 years, hey, maybe it's time for you to to start practicing it constantly, as the author said, and to start exercising discernment and now start teaching others. It might be time for you to mature in that way. Just all of us might be in different uh, places. It's not like there's different levels. Like, I'm a level one Christian. I'm a level five Christian. No, it's not that. It's not the idea. Uh, Man, we're all justified by Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And I'm not more righteous than you. And you're not more righteous than me. I mean, we have the righteousness of Jesus on our lives. That is a beautiful thing, man. We are all positionally in Christ, known as better or worse off than the other person. But there's a side of it where there is still more to grow in our faith. And there still is more opportunities to reach and to save the lost in the name of Jesus and to help grow and make disciples. Here is the point, again, for us today, church, is God, I believe, wants to grow us in maturity. And are you teachable? Are you open? Are you ready? Saying, God, use me. Maybe you're not serving. God's saying, it's time to serve. Maybe you're not giving. And God's saying, it's time to give. Maybe you're not just loving or forgiving. And God's like, it's time to love and forgive. Whatever that is, there is more to experience in Christ. And God is trying to press us into that. And I'd say, don't fight that. The coach who gets in your face the friend, the parent who says, grow up, I love you, grow up. Listen, this is what the author's doing. And I think this is a really true thing for us. Hey, I wish that you could have meat. I wish. But he's like, you're not ready. But no, I love, in chapter seven, he goes back to it. He's like, okay, maybe you're ready. My thing is, hey, there's more. There's more. 
And I, there's a story I want to end with. In Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel has this vision. The vision is a temple and this river going from the temple. And in this vision, he goes up to his ankles and then God, and then God says, go into your knee deep. So he goes into the river knee deep and then God's like, go to your waist. He goes to his waist and he's like, go swim. Like you can swim in it. Like it's so deep now you can swim. And here's, there's so many different ways to approach this. Here's I, uh, just an idea for us. I believe God's like, you can be ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, or you can swim in it. Do you want to be all in? Do you want to be ankle deep? Do you want 30? Do you want 60? Do you want 100 fold? All of us need to be growing. All of us need to be bearing fruit. You can either have 30, 60, I, I'm just happy you're growing. But a man, there's more. But man, there's, you can swim in it. But man, go deeper. And there's more. And there's not deeper, does not mean I have more theology. I'm growing in love. I'm growing in discipleship. I'm growing in care. I'm growing in, in the disciplines. And you're going to see that affect my marriage, my friendships, my life, because I'm just pressing into who Jesus is. The goal is Jesus. The goal is to see how everything speaks of Jesus. The goal is Melchizedek. The, pre- the goal is to say, I want to see how this is of Jesus. And that's our hope and our heart for you guys. Listen, I want to pray. I'm going to pray really quick share a couple announcements. We're going to throw some questions up. But I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit does take this in my life and in your life. It would just mature us. Amen? Can we pray? Father, we thank you. There is absolutely, God, no one like you. God, you are one. We worship you. We look to you. God, we ask that you would mature us. We ask that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of your son, Jesus. That this would not just be empty words. God, that this would not just be vain growth or fake fruit. But Lord, let it be truly by abiding in you, genuine fruit that comes from our lives individually and just as a church that we would abide and grow. And we just thank you, Jesus. We look to you. God, anything I said that's not from you, remove it. Anything I said that's um, just fleshly, remove it, Jesus. Let, let your word just stick. God, let it just produce life and growth. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.